Hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going pretty good, man. I got this little kitten banging on the door of the room that I'm in right now. So we'll see if we'll see if we have peace and quiet. There's also my wife and brother-in-law are getting together for the first time in the kitchen right now. So there could also be um, significant fighting happening in my house any moment now. So besides the, besides a massive amount of uh, internal chaos, you know, life is pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. I've got uh, two six-year-olds uh-huh. who, literally got their covid shot two hours and seven minutes ago oh wow so. <laughs> big day how are they doing are they is their arm hurting it uh they're actually doing better than we did because uh-huh. when i got mine it knocked me the hell out yeah <laughs> yeah they seem to be uh, i don't know kids are apparently resilient uh, so yeah we'll see man i bet you in four hours those little kids are gonna be sobbing about their poor arms i bet you they're <laughs> I, I, we'll see how long their little brave little toaster attitudes last. Uh, good for them, man. I'm happy for you guys. <laughs> Your confidence is really, really higher than mine. So, <laughs> so now you do that podcast, right? Man, I do a couple podcasts. Yeah, my wife Muriel and I, um, we run a couple podcasts. One is just about our life. It's called Hell in Your 30s. We've been doing that one for about four years. And then we, uh, during pandemic, you know, when we were isolated in our little apartment together, the only way to get away from each other and not go crazy was to kind of like listen to our own separate podcasts. And then she'd, I'd be like, what are you listening to? And she'd be like, tell me all this true crime stuff. You know, she'd be listening to all these horrific true crime podcasts. And I was like, that's so weird and disturbing. Why are you so obsessed with this? you know, that's gross to me. You know, I was like real judgy with her, but at the same time I kept asking her questions because I want to know details about what she was uh, listening to. You know, I wanted to hear her version of these true crimes. And through those conversations, we developed a format for like our current podcast that is in addition to hell in your thirties. And that one's called Muriel's murders. And uh, it's a true crime podcast, man, where Muriel tells me stories that, uh, she just thinks they're going to blow my mind. You know, she's just like, Hey, this, this is, this is gonna This is going to throw you for a loop. And a lot of times they're, uh, I think, uh, like your stories, not particularly heavy on the tragedy of it. And like the gruesome sort of brutality and, um, like eternal sadness of everything. Not that there isn't tragedy and death and, you know, all the heavy shit in these stories, but, uh, she does tend to choose stories that have like a really interesting historical context and really, you know, kind of crazy characters that come from a really specific place and all that kind of stuff. So she, she basically sucks me in and gets me excited about a story and then sucker punches me with the fact that someone usually ends up murdered. Yeah. I remember the, one of the first episodes I listened to was the Killdozer episode. Mm. And your reactions in that are so great because Muriel has this great way of building to a uh, point uh-huh. and then she just lets it land yeah. and your reactions are so cool. Well, she knows how to mess with me too. You know what I mean? Like she, yeah, you, we've been doing comedy together for years and, uh, you know, and we're just like weird codependent uh, weirdo couple people. So we're in each other's lives and know how to push each other's buttons and have a like a really have a lot of fun teasing each other in different avenues of life so a lot of times she'll use language that she knows will be agitating to me or whatever you know she and she's and she's very she she's good at, at getting me going for sure 
Nice. Well, yeah, I, I can't wait for the next ones. I mean, the one Thanks, that I man. listened to again recently was the uh, the Frank Nitty. And mm, yeah. And that one seemed like you were actually into it. More well, you know, I mean, like any good Sicilian boy, you got to try to get a sense of what your uncles were up to. You know, <laughs> so you try to, you try to, you know, you try to read a couple history books here and there and, and figure out what was going on and what, what meant what in, uh, in retrospect. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I have like some sort of, I mean, who doesn't have a perverse fascination with organized crime and the mob? And I mean, you know, I mean, Thanks to those guys, American film is uh, good, you know? So, like, <laughs> but what I mean by that is, you know, I think some of the stories told about the mafia sort of uh, made everyone need to step their game up in, like, the scope of cinema, you know? That's what I mean by that. Not that the mafia is controlling Hollywood, because I don't know anything about that, okay, Chris? I, I don't even know why you're trying to get me to admit that, because I'm not involved in that. Yes, I live here in hollywood but I, I know not what you speak of uh yeah that that was a super fun episode and that came as like a listener request because uh, one of our uh one of our listeners lives in the apartment building that frank nitty lived in at some point and oh, wow. she was like you know i've never taken the time to really like learn about what that actually means and she requested it and then we went off we had like a two-part episode it was super fun yeah oh it's fantastic now, Thanks. you know, if I ever get to make a request, uh-huh. I am requesting the Zanku chicken murders. Oh, damn. Is that an L.A. thing? There's a lot of yeah. Zanku chickens out here. It's the the founder of the restaurant mm-hmm. was murdered by her son, who was running the L.A. version of the restaurant. And it's a an amazing story. All right. I'll, all yeah. over the place. I'll put, you know, I mean. To, I, and this is like the shtick of our show is that Muriel chooses the cases and then tells and then tells me them. And sometimes we have like a little bit back and forth of like, well, you know, maybe we did two sort of historical ones in a row. Let's do something more modern. You know, sometimes I'm in, uh, included in a conversation a bit about like the arc of the season we're doing and what we're sort of lacking and, you know, which ones seem to resonate well with uh, listeners and that kind of thing. So I am sort of involved in the choosing of the cases, but besides that, it really is a surprise to me what story she ends up doing um, every time we sit down to record. So I can make no promises. Okay. She's got a laundry list of cases, you know, she's working them in, but I promise you, I will throw that one in the, in, in the pile. That's, that has been officially requested at this moment. Yeah, you should just like bring in like, you know, the garlic paste and just leave it around. Like, what's that? Oh, Zankuche, just get into the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. <be> like, <laughs> hey, does this is do you notice how good this chicken is? Man, I just kill someone for this chicken. You know, it seems like someone died for this. This is <laughs> this is delicious. Yeah, Zanku chickens are are uh are interesting. <laughs> are an interesting <laughs> restaurant out here because they're they're it's like good and quality, at least in terms of like our perception of you know, fast food options, you know, it's like, Oh, that seems like real food and it's good, but they can be grimy as hell, man. I, we go to the Zanku chicken by where we used to do our laundry and all types of shady shit happened there. I can promise you there's some unsolved murders in those bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any restaurant chain that starts in little Armenia is probably going to have some shady business. <laughs> God bless those guys, man. I fucking love little Armenia, man. I kick it up there as much as I possibly can. There's some good ass comedy, uh, like weird comedy venues up there. I, I love that area. Yeah. I, uh, I work at a literary foundation, uh, dedicated mm-hmm. to a Armenian author. And oh. so which I, author, 
uh, William Soroyan. Oh, interesting. Are you, is that your Twitter handle? Uh, I do have a a forever story and Twitter handle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was like, uh, yeah, I think you, I think you follow us on Twitter. I think we're, I think we're Twitter pals. Nice. Okay, cool. Absolutely. And Twitter is, it's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because of people like you doing the good work. Okay. Sorry. What? (laughs) Hey, hey, can I tell you a story? Yeah, for sure, man. I, I'm curious to see what you got. Well, cool. Have you ever heard of France? The country? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's made of it. I think it's made a way into my psyche every here and there. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> okay, that's gonna make this so much easier. Don't have to go into the geography <laughs> lesson. Okay, okay. Okay, so a long time ago, in a time called the past, uh-huh, French cooking was sort of at this weird place where the basics had been laid but Mm -hmm. it wasn't the big thing in cuisine yet sure this is like the 1870s 1880s yeah they still had their training wheels on they were like we know butter is good but how good is it you know (laughs) correct (laughs) now there's this dude named cesar ritz uh and cesar is a Hotelier. Uh, I'll buy, by the way, I'll be over and under pronunciating France words. Good, man. That, as an American, you should be all over the map with that. It would be <laughs> weird if you were perfect. <laughs> Correct. I love that. <laughs> but uh, he was a hotelier and uh, he ran a whole bunch of hotels that occasionally got requests from their child to give them more time. <sighs> I'm glad I edit these things. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, Ben. Oh, um, what's up, Ben? <laughs> Hiya, Ben. Okay. Yeah, so Ritz ran hotels in France in the 1870s, and he did some really interesting things. He sort of modernized French hotels. Mm-hmm. So in the old days, they were always, they used the same uh, sort of bedding. They had the same wallpaper, and they were very sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Shitty. Okay. Yeah. Hotels in France sucked. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And he did things like uh, he came up with ways of modernizing it, Mm -hmm. sterilizing. Actually, he made his rooms to be easier to clean. Mm -hmm. And here's a shocker. Uh Occasionally, they would wash the linens. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I'm assuming this is Ritz Carlton. Right. Very much so. Okay, cool. And he was like, yeah, you guys heard of me. We clean our laundry. Everyone's (laughs) like, whoa, someone give this guy a huge hotel. Okay, I I get it. Yeah. So he started opening hotels and he had a friend by the name of Auguste Escoffier. Mm -hmm. And this dude is one of those names that if you say it to a French person, they'll be like, uh, Scoffier, oh. and then they'll make some <laughs> mouth noises. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was initially he wanted to be an artist, and he wasn't terrible at it. But his dad just said, "Not, nah, not, nah, no more art school for you. You're going to go and become a cook." Okay. Oh, and wow. like, all right, yeah, like all things that a parent forces you to do, he was really good at it. <laughs> uh, he turned out to be just like he was so short he couldn't actually deal with opening oven doors. What? 
yeah, he was because the oven doors, you know, they're kind of big. So he had to actually this is how young he was. He was like 13, uh-huh. 14. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he had to start wearing high heels so he could open the doors. Man, it do it. I'm it. It do be like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK. But it turned out that he got uh, dragged into the army for seven years. Mm. And in the army, he was a, a chef. And in fact, mm-hmm. he was the chef de cuisine for the Rhine army during the Franco-Prussian war. The most luxurious of all the wars. I'm going to just, uh, I don't, I don't know anything about history. I'm a dumb American. So I'm assuming you're being sarcastic here. He was a, he had to, was that, was that really drastic? It was kind of, it wasn't as bad as like uh, the Crimean war, but it was uh, still people getting blown up. Yeah. It was definitely a war. Yeah. Okay. But they had a chef de cuisine. It was uh-huh. like, hmm. Sure. Right. I think for their last meal, escargot would be appropriate. <laughs> I got it. I mean, was he cooking for soldiers or just for the fancy people? Probably both. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the things that is uh, really weird about, you know, there's a history of food I was reading years ago where it was the way feeding goes in the army sometimes in the olden days was they'd make the best things for the upper class, of course. Uh Then they would water it down and make it into a soup for everyone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is that the upper brass thought, this food isn't very good. They wanted the soup. Yeah, right. (laughs) That, that that I know that happened in that's like a, a Chinese uh, cuisine has that same history. I think that I think that played out in similar ways across the world. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you might not realize this, but uh-huh. food is delicious. You know, I've 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 heard I I've, I I have I haven't indulged. I haven't tried it yet, but, but one, <laughs> you probably should. Yeah. I mean, Zanku chicken like once every five years. But uh you know, besides that, I'll give it a try one day. I have to go down to Glendale next month, and I'm going to mm-hmm. go to at least four different <laughs> And Bob's big boy. Like uh, so Ritz and Escoffier mm-hmm. are doing their whole thing in Monte Carlo. And Ooh. at the Grand Hotel, which was a brand new hotel, it was one of the greatest kitchens in the world. Mm-hmm. And what Escoffier was doing was he was creating dishes for every sort of event. And he was using new techniques and he was really cutting edge because he was one of those guys who like sees the future today. (laughs) But the two of them in 1890 got hired at the Savoy Hotel in London. All right. Now, London isn't technically France. But stick with me. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so they go to this hotel and they revolutionize how hotels, and particularly hotel kitchens, work. Mm-hmm. And you have Ritz, who is this sort of glad-handing, uh, like, if you ever saw the movie Ocean's 13, he is exactly what the hotel owner in that is who was played by the actor whose name I will never remember. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He was Michael Corleone, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but is like going and, you know, Hey, we're going to comp you some wine for that meal. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. And so he's this like superstar hotelier. Yeah. Hotelier. Mm. Um, Nailing it. But, <laughs> 
But in the kitchens, Escoffier is doing things that have never been thought of. Uh, uh -huh. Like he would get a list of who was coming to the hotel and he would look for famous people. And he saw this uh, singer who was from Australia, uh, Nellie Melba, mm -hmm. uh, came in 1897. And he decided, I will create a dish called Melba Toast. I've had Melba Toast. I think you can buy that in a package, can't you? <laughs> yes, you Isn't can. Isn't that a thing you can buy? Nice. Yes, he invented that. Sick. Uh, he came up with, like, flaming dishes, uh, uh -huh. like the Bomban Nero, um, or the Fraze a la Sarah Bernhardt, uh, <laughs> which is strawberries with pineapple in this Curacao sorbet. Uh -huh. And, oh, my Jesus, am I hungry. That sounds good. <laughs> but he was doing all these amazing things in the kitchen. And they were drawing hundreds of new people from the highest class. And the hotel was losing a ton of money. Mm. And they could not figure out why. So the Savoy Board of Directors got together and they started going over things. So they hired an auditing firm because auditors are the perfect people to find all the problems with your hotel. <laughs> and they were finding irregularities. So they hired private investigators. <laughs> Hell yeah. And what they found out was there was a whole bunch of fraud going on. <laughs> uh-huh. And so they brought Escoffier and Ritz in front of the front of the board and they fired them for gross negligence and breach of duty and mismanagement. Damn. Ritz and this from, is one uh -huh, of those, okay. uh, they were going to march them out. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Like, let's get some like succession style. Like we need some security in here. Let's get this guy out of here. Like, uh, brother Kendall's <laughs> security <laughs> clearance is now voided or whatever. You got to go type shit. Yeah, they did the perp walk, and I think uh -huh. that's really just exceptional good way to go. Especially my in my mind, he's marching through the dining room, and everyone's eating, and they like have their their <laughs> yeah, mouth open, about ready to take a bite, and then they just go. He's <laughs> just in his chef hat. He's like yes. he's got his apron on. He's got flour in his fingernails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, the kitchen revolted. Mm. The managers, like, tried to block the door. Um, this is from the star. Uh, 16 fiery French and Swiss cooks took their long knives and placed themselves in a position of defiance. Oh, my God. Before being bundled out with the aid of a strong force of metropolitan police. <laughs> oh, right, because this is their, like, guy, right? They're looking this, like, it's because also the other thing about French cuisine is that there's this super intense hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the big the big boss is, like, their guy. They're, like, loyal to him. They're, like, subservient to him, basically. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. what the amazing thing was is that, so they get them all out. They start to sort of find ways to settle the case because this wouldn't look good for the Savoy to be tangled up in such ribaldry. <laughs> but they actually get Escoffier and Ritz to make signed confessions. Mm -hmm. Escoffier admits to taking kickbacks from the kitchen for the suppliers. So he'd say, we're ordering 600 eggs from them. They would only deliver 450. And some of those he would funnel off to other people. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Nice. Uh, so 
there was kickbacks. There was, uh, he was taking as much as 5% off of every purchase made. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite thing is that he also said, and, you know, technically we were also bribing people and, you know, getting <laughs> big names to come. Mm, right, right, right. But Ritz was uh-huh. the actual bad part of it because he was, not only was he comping things, he was also reselling wines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, nice. Classic. That's a potential. We don't know for sure, Classic. but okay, there's all sure. sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And he claimed the losses were about $16,000, mm-hmm. which I believe is $4.8 million in today's money. Fuck, oh, dude. Wine is uh, wine is so hilariously expensive, and it's always just rich people who are getting scammed because of it. It's just so... <laughs> I love there's a uh, a guy around here in the Silicon Valley who was a famous wine forger. He did the uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson bottle uh-huh. and he was actually at an event at the museum I used to work at and he brought with him 50 bottles that he had insured. He had us actually sign the insurance paper for like wow. half a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like that's crazy. Okay. Yeah, no, I know it's too much. <laughs> yeah. So they get fired. And with all that money, they go and they found a new hotel in France. Oh, so they got to keep all the money? They just were like, yeah, we robbed you. And as you kick us out, we're taking the money with us. Well, there was a sort of a thing. Ritz uh-huh. did pay a little over 4,000 pounds. Uh, even though he denied he did anything wrong. Ritz mm-hmm. was like, you know, I my thing is I was just too much of a host. I was mm-hmm. too kind. I was too good at my job. <laughs> but he did pay about 4000 but it's likely that he had a lot more left over. Mm-hmm. But uh, they found the Ritz Hotel in Paris, and it is the glorious hotel. It is the Ritziest mm. hotel, nice. uh, which is apparently where that word comes from, and now I know things. Sure, um, sure. And then the next year, he decided the best way to get back at the Savoy was to open a hotel in London. So they founded the Carlton Hotel. Mm-hmm. All sorts of fun stuff. Escoffier basically changes French cuisine. He writes books that mm-hmm. are both cookbooks, so it's all these amazing recipes. But he also, they're sort of textbooks, so they're like the nuts and bolts of how to go about cooking and running a kitchen. Yeah. Ritz dies about mm, 20 years later. Uh, I'm assuming of a broken heart. And Escoffier lives on to today every time we eat French food and think, wow, this is really good. (laughs) And yeah, that's the story of Escoffier and Rich. I Uh, love it, man. Two guys who uh, were frauds and yet at Mm -hmm. the same time changed the world. Yeah. Hey, man, scammers, scammers have their place in human history. You know, we all owe something awesome to just a really dirty scam. Yeah, yeah. There are some scams that might go too far. I'm thinking Jonestown, but I can't prove that. Uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Not every scam is not every scam leads to um, you know generations of delicious cooking. Not everyone, and not every scam leads to the normalization of washing our sheets in hotels. <laughs> but you know, the one that does—that's the one that we remember. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Thanks for that story, dude. I appreciate it. Hey, always glad to anytime. Yeah. And hey, you know, where can people find y'all on 
the internet. Well, search Muriel's murders first and foremost. Uh, definitely wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you're listening to this very podcast, check out Muriel's murders. Uh, we're about 35 episodes in. We got a bunch of crazy ones uh, in store for the rest of the year. We're really loving this podcast and we're loving the people that are kind of finding us through it and it's just been great so definitely check out muriel's murders and if you're just like man i need to know what nick and his wife are like when they don't talk about murders uh we have our other podcast hell in your 30s which uh we have about four years worth of episodes over there that's really fun and then search muriel's murders and hell in your 30s in your social media feeds you know what i mean uh we make some very fun like animations to go with Muriel's Murders. We have a lot of fun with that. Our DMs are open. You can email us Muriel'sMurders at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, man, check us out. We're here for you. Awesome, yeah. And so, also, I forgot to ask, uh -huh. um, which one of you is from the Bay Area? Uh, neither one of us. We're both from Seattle. Why? Because of Hella? Because of Hella. <laughs> Man, yeah, well, here's the thing. We're from Seattle, and there's a weird connection between the Bay Area and Seattle, and I would not claim that Seattle – I know that Hella came from the Bay, and I think that's something that we absorbed from uh, the Bay. So I all <laughs> – you know, all respect due to where it belongs. Uh, but we're just Bay Area wannabes. You know what I mean? We grew up listening to E-40 and Too Short. We just want to be included in, like, the West Coast. But clearly, uh, Hollywood is a bit of a stre stretch too far for Seattle kids to, uh, <laughs> you know, identify with culturally. That's very true. And actually, my theory is that there was the great migration from the Bay Area of my generation, probably. Uh, yeah. to port to seattle uh -huh. and the ones who are just too tired stopped in portland <laughs> yeah, right. and and it turns out they're still pretty tired they just stayed there <laughs> <laughs> awesome great oh thanks so man to talk to you. yeah it was great it's weird that we look the same but besides that this was great thanks so much <laughs> yeah.